This is going to be a little bit different for me this week. You know, for the last 22 weeks, um, for most of those weeks, I was the only one here while the message was being recorded. So, no, you can leave that there. I'm not using it. Get ourselves hooked up here. Well, how's everyone doing? You know, it, it's interesting. Like, you, wherever you go, it's good to look in people's eyes and see how they're actually doing. You know, some people are running scared for their lives now. Some people have kind of got into the pace like, yeah, this is going to pass. This will be fine. And it's good for us to be together, encourage each other, lift each other up, and not let fear rule our hearts. You know, that's something the Bible was very specific about. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. So when fear is trying to grab hold of you, you know that that is not from God. Now we use wisdom, we use natural precautions, but fear should not be a motivating factor in our lives for what we do and what we don't do. God has given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and of a sound mind. And I think right now during this time, people are in need of your love. So wherever you go, I encourage you, look people in the eyes. You can tell when people are hurting. They wear it in their eyes. They, they say that the eyes are the gateway to the soul. And maybe just saying, hey, how's it going? You know, your hair's looking great today, you know, because you can't see... You, you know, normally I'd be like, oh, you got such a great smile. You know, it's so great to see your smile. You can't see the smiles now. You know, the other day, actually, funny story, I was in a store, and I needed help from one of the attendants. And, you know, people are kind of keeping their distance. And, you know, and so I'm like, I'm looking at her, and I'm smiling, you know, the smile that you'd normally give, like, please, come help me. I'm tired of waiting. And then I was like, oh, wait, she can't see me smiling. <laughs> and so look in people's eyes. Find people that need love and encouragement and be God's mouthpiece to them and his hands and his feet. Right. Well, I want to start a new series this morning called Simple Things. And as I was meditating on the word this week, the thing that was coming to me is that so often the things that are most beneficial in our lives are the little things. You know, when your life has just exploded, we often look for what big change do I need to make in all this? And it's often the little things that bring us back to that place of peace, back to that place of heading in the right direction. And you know, sometimes when it comes to Christianity, we can look at the, the simple things of the Bible and say, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that before, or, or I've known that. But there's a difference between what we've heard and what we let govern our lives. You know, the simple things are important. You know, just think about how much we take for granted things like electricity or plumbing. How's that one there for you, Garnet? You know, Garnet and them were without plumbing for a little while. And you begin to appreciate the simple things, the necessities that we just come to take for granted. And when it comes to God's Word, there's simple things that are supposed to be the anchors in our life. And when we boil it all down, it's really the little things that are actually the big things. You know, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, we can get it to turn there, 
He said in Song of Solomon 2.15, Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. And what Solomon was trying to say, he's saying it's not the big things that screw up, it's the little things. He said, catch for us the little things. And I like, I think it's the New Living Translation says, catch the little foxes because we got tender grapes in our garden of love. And that's our motivating factor in the things we do in our life should be the love of God and don't let the little things rob us of the joy that he's intended for us. So this morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles with me, you can to Daniel chapter 3. And if we think about Daniel chapter 3, it's really one of those, those uh, Bible stories that we often look at as, oh, this is a kid's story. We teach it in the Sunday school classes, you know, it'd be, if you get a children's book about the Bible, it's going to be one of those stories. But there are big things within this simple story that can be beneficial to our lives. And so why don't we look at verse 1 of chapter 3. It says this, Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So we have King Nebuchadnezzar. He is the king, the ruler over the Babylonian Empire, which is the largest empire in the world at that time. And he decides, I'm going to make this giant statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, gold-plated. This cost him a pretty penny. And the thing about this statue that we need to know, that it wasn't just a statue of some random person, it was a statue of himself. And so it gives us a picture into the vanity that King Nebuchadnezzar had. He thinks very high of himself, and he wants everyone to worship him. And now this isn't new. If we look throughout history, there's many kings and rulers who fancied themselves a god. You know, the Egyptians considered themselves gods. The Persians considered themselves gods. And so this is not something new, but it seems like when people get into places of power, it can get out of control. And instead of being about how can we help the empire, it becomes about how can people worship me. And so in verse 2, he says, Then he sent out messages to high officers and officials, governors and advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So he calls anybody who is anybody to come to these. And he says, So all of the officials came and stood before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then a herald shouted out, People of all races, all nations, all language, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, and basically we'll boil it down to all these different musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship the king, Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And in verse 6, I want you to pay attention to this. He says, anyone who refuses will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Anyone who refuses, everyone catch the word, immediately. And so what King Nebuchadnezzar did is he's starting with fear and intimidation. 
And so oftentimes, people come into our lives this way, situations come into our lives this way, and they want to motivate us to fear and to intimidate us to do what the situation wants us to do. You know, we saw this at the beginning of the pandemic. People's hearts began failing them. They were completely fear-ridden. It was trying to say that if you don't do this now, bad things are going to happen to you. That's fear and intimidation. So in the case of this story, Nebuchadnezzar was the source of that to the people. But in our lives, many different things can come in this way. Fear of losing our jobs, fear of our families being torn apart, fear of, uh, of, of sickness in our bodies, so many different things that can come into our lives and try to motivate us to fear and to intimidation. But any situation that begins with fear and intimidation is not from God. Not from God. We already said that he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if we can all agree that fear and intimidation does not come from God, there's something else we need to all agree on. You want to know what that is? If it's not from God, it has to bow to God. Because there is nothing greater. There is nothing stronger. There is nothing higher than the God who created everything, who created this expansive universe that we live in. And so if it didn't come from him, it is insignificant in the scope of him. And so if it has to bow to him and he lives in you, it has to bow to you. So don't let fear and intimidation push you around. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do to the empire. He was trying to intimidate them to turn from, and now you have to understand, it was very multi-ethnic empire. And so we have all these different races worshiping all these different gods, and he's trying to motivate them to worship him. And anything you magnify and give power in your life, you are worshiping. And so in verse 7, he says, So at the sound of the musical instruments, all of the people, whatever their race, their nation, their language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, obviously, we know that not everybody bowed because most of us are familiar with the story. We don't know where Daniel is in all of this. He's been the central character for the last two chapters. And so when it says that they invited everybody, it's implied that not everybody came because Daniel's not there. We don't know what happened with him for this. But in verse 8, it says, but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. Now, why is it important that it points out that it was the astrologers that came and ratted out the Jews? Anybody got a guess on that? It's because the last two chapters, Daniel has just humiliated them by standing up and saying, you're wrong, this is what God said, and then Daniel was proved right, and they were proved wrong. And sometimes when you, when you walk the course with God, and you stand on his principles, and you stand on his promises, it doesn't always mean you're going to make friends with others. And so this situation escalates because Daniel has been choosing to be unwavering, and now his friends are about to pay for it. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> I'm sure that's what they're thinking. And they came to King Nebuchadnezzar and they sucked up right away. Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all of the people to bow down and worship the golden statue. 
And that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the blazing furnace. So they're repeating his own words back to him. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or if you grew up on VeggieTales, Rakshak and Benny, or Myshak, Yorshak, and a bungalow, however you want to call them. It says, whom you've put in charge of the province of Babylon, they pay you no attention, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him, and they were brought in. And Nebuchadnezzar says to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship my gold statue that I have set up? So the question I have to ask you here is what happened to immediately? Because the decree was, if you don't bow, immediately. And so we all begin to see right now that things that come into your life that say they are absolute and all-powerful are anything but. Because there's only one thing that is absolute and all-powerful, and that is God. And so already King Nebuchadnezzar is beginning to buckle under his own command, which was, if you don't bow, immediately you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. And in verse 15, he says, I will give you one more chance. Again, immediately he's gone out the window. He's trying to pander to them to say, come, please, guys, don't make me look bad. Don't make me do this. And, you know, I believe that they were doing a good job as being rulers in Babylon because we know Daniel was doing a great job in his position that he'd been put into. And so he didn't want to do what he was threatening to do. And it's funny, when you push back about, against those things that try to f- bring you into fear and intimidation, you begin to find out that they're not very absolute, and they don't have the power that they claim to have. I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made. And when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse you will be thrown immediately. Well, we already know that that's not true. So, into the blazing furnace, and then what? God will be able to rescue you from my power. Everything was going actually pretty good up until this point, until he said that word. You notice Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego haven't even said a word at this point. They just refused to bow. The king has done all the monologuing up until this point. But at this sentence, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? I like how the New King James Version says it. It says, who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Nebuchadnezzar didn't know the answer. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And when you're thrown in a fiery furnace situation in your life, do you know who your God is? That better be the first thing that starts to rise up in your heart. Who is your God? Now there's a lot of situations going on in our world trying to question the power of your God and his ability to deliver you. It doesn't matter about everyone else. 
You can only believe God for you. And so you better know who your God is. You know, we don't know what began to flash in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's mind right here. They would have been students of the law. They would have known what had been written up until that point. So maybe, maybe I'm just taking a, a leap here and saying maybe it was da David's words that came to their mind where he said in Sam 2 Samuel 22, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, the God of my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, who you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from my enemies. We don't know what flashed through their minds. But let me tell you this, something better flash through your mind. And what you put in better start coming out. And you better not regret what it is that you've put in. I always like to use Pastor Wendy's example is that when you squeeze the tube of toothpaste, what is inside is shooting out the top. What have you put inside to guard you in these types of situations when they rise up before you? Is it, how dare you defy my God? That's what David said to the giant. Who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine, that you dare blaspheme my God? I'm going to cut your head off and feed you to the birds. What rises up in your heart when the situation begins to, to, uh, to give you a hard time? When it tries to shake you? It better be that you know who your God is. And just as important, you better know who you are in relation to him. That I am a child of the king. And that daddy God, he comes to my rescue whenever I open my mouth, whenever I call upon his name, he shows up to fight for me. I like 1 John chapter 3 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And you got to believe that when my child running, hurt, they've done something happened, you, I go and I scoop them up and I make sure that they're okay. And Almighty God is a better father than any of us. Amen. Verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. Now we are the children of God. Now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, meaning we don't know the scope of that, that reality. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So what comes out of you when the fires are burning? Who your God is, who you are, and you better know what you stand for. Because if you stand for nothing, you will fall for everything. If you have no principles, you'll be pushed around. Stand on God's principles. Because the reality is, before the fiery furnace was lit for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was already a fire burning, and it was the fire of faith in their heart. So verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied. What were they replying to? What God can deliver you from my power. And they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not even need to defend ourselves before you. They said, that's not even worth an answer. I don't have to spend my time 
describing to you all of the ways that my God can deliver me because it doesn't matter what you believe, Nebuchadnezzar. It matters what I believe. And they say in verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, they throw an if in there because they already know he's, he's already wavering, immediately went out the window. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And I fully believe, this is just me reading into the text, I believe that last your majesty was pretty snarky. There was probably a little bit of an attitude on it. We don't even know if you're going to follow through, King Nebuchadnezzar. But whatever happens, he'll rescue us from your power, knowing that his power is insignificant to the God they serve. But even if he doesn't, we want you to, to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods nor worship your gold statue that you have set up. Now, I've heard a lot of people say this as they were kind of hedging their bets. Well, what if God doesn't come through? No, I'm thinking they were saying to him that even if our God wasn't in the saving business of which he is, we still don't care what you think, Nebuchadnezzar. And in essence, what they said was this. Light the fire. Bring it on. Have you ever had an attitude with a situation that showed up in your life? If you haven't, you better find one. Light the fire. So we know what happens. He has them bound. He says, just lighting a fire is not enough. Let's make it seven times as hot. He gets some guys to throw them in. It's so hot that it kills the people that are throwing them in. That's why you got to be careful about who you align yourself with. Because their allegiance to the king led them to their death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's allegiance to God led them where? Well, that's what we're about to see. King Nebuchadnezzar throws them in. The guards die. He sits down to enjoy his handiwork. Gets on his throne, his giant 90-foot statue, nine feet wide, plated in gold, is sitting there with him. He's feeling pretty good about himself, a little bit powerful. And he starts to look back to hear, the, listen to the screams, smell the burning flesh, whatever it is. He sits back, and then he's like, what, what, what's going on? Uh, you, you, get, did, did I not throw three Hebrews in there? Somebody do a head count. And in verse 25, he says, look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. I like the King James Version better. It says, and the fourth is the image of the Son of God. And so here, in the moment of their hardship, they chose to stand up to fear and intimidation, and who shows up at their side to back them up but the Son of God. And not only does he just rescue them from the fire, they can't even smell the smoke on them. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, come on out! And they come out, and he worships God that day. So the thing that started as the absolute power, the one holding the position of authority, 
is now on his knees before God. What is on the other side of you taking a stand and saying, no, I don't think I'll do that. My God will deliver me. I like what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12. He said, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. And I think it's time for Christians to stop being ashamed of what they believe in and who their God is. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I know. He knew who his God was. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. He's able to follow through on the things I've chosen to believe, on the things that the word of God has said about him. And so Paul gives another piece of advice after saying that. He says, hold fast to the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. In faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Long before the fire to burn Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was lit, there was already a fire present, and it was the fire of faith in their hearts. And you can't go go talk about this without referencing how great God is and saying, what shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So when the pressure's on, you better be able to answer these questions. Who is your God? Who are you? And what do you stand for? Because it's the simple things that will bring you through. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that you give to us. We thank you that there is nothing that can stand against you. So I would rather stand by your side than anything that will ever exist. God, I know you are worthy to be praised. I know you are good. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Robin.